Today on Security Science, what does it take to win the remediation race? Thank you for joining us as we discuss the third report in our multi-part dive into the Prioritization to Prediction Research Series by Kenna Security and the Scientia Institute. Uh, P2P Volume 3, Winning the Remediation Race. With me today, I have the jester of risk-based vulnerability management, Kenneth Security co-founder and CTO at Bellis. What's up, Jester Bellis? Uh, thanks, Dan. Always a pleasure to be here. Man, I can't believe you snuck that into my notes in that short amount of time. That was, that was seriously impressive. Um, we also have on the line one of our favorite wranglers of massive data sets, partner and co-founder of the Science Institute, everyone's favorite here, Jay Jacobs. How's it going, Jay? Good, good. Great to be here, Dan. Awesome. And we're still trying to figure out if Jay was just like the prototype DNA that IBM used to build Ben or not. I still have not seen them in the same place at the same time. Ed, any, any thoughts? Uh, I have seen them at the same time. Okay. Uh, although I'm not sure that they were talking at the same time. Hmm. So clone know. maybe? Possibly. Some kind of avatar situation. It's it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to. Well, we will get to the bottom of this. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So as we're getting into P two P, what V three now? So what? This report came out March twelfth, twenty nineteen. Man, how different of a year that was. Yeah. To this I, one. So twenty nineteen. It's twenty twenty now. So that was like five years ago. Yeah, something like that. I think. A lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I have all gray hair. Um, my beard is almost down to my belly button <laughs> in this one year's time. It's been, it's been yeah. an impressive year thus far. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, almost what? Now it's a year and a half later. Our goal at the time was to answer a couple questions. So, we looked at one, how quickly, and two, how many vulnerabilities a given organization can handle. And so the questions we're trying to figure out is, can organizations remediate all the new vulnerabilities in their environments? And if not, can they remediate all of the new high-risk vulnerabilities in their environments? So some pretty big questions. We know that the counts are crazy. So let me just kick off with a few demographics on you know what was the data we looked at. Uh, the sample size for this last report was roughly 300 organizations with over 2 billion vulnerabilities observed. Um, we pretty much represent all the major industries. I think the notable um, outlier that we didn't have was what federal government probably. Um, when I looked at it, the top three um, industries represented were professional services, manufacturing, and banking. And then um, it was actually pretty interesting because it was almost an even third split when you did it by company size. So just so we can get this out of the way, um, small companies, which we classified as between one and 500 employees, represented about 35% of the sample. Medium-sized companies, which we did 500 employees to 5K, was 34%. And then large, we deemed as anything over 5,000 employees, was 31% of the sample. So pretty nice even split, which will come in as we dig into some of the results later on. And then survival analysis is back. So we'll kind of jump off there. Last time we did survival analysis of 12 representative organizations because it was a lot of data in a short amount of time. This one, Jay and team had a little more time, just barely. Um, and so they looked at this massive sample. So Jay, do you want to give everyone a primer again on survival analysis and some of the AUC stuff? 
Sure. Yeah. So survival analysis is actually a collection of techniques um, to look at essentially time to an event. And typically when people aren't familiar with survival analysis and they're looking at, at data like this, what they'll do, so like if we're looking at vulnerabilities and we want to figure out how long it takes to close a vulnerability, people will just look at the closed vulnerabilities. And so there's there's a, a bias in there and a flaw in that logic because then you're ignoring everything that's open. And so that's a huge challenge. So survival analysis, actually the name comes from uh, healthcare where obviously it's used to study the survival of different uh, diseases, infections, things like that. And so think of that analogy though, like if, if you have 100 people with a disease, a, a, a potentially deadly disease, and two of them die in a month, but 98 of them live, and someone says, what's my expected, you know, I just found out I have this disease. And they say, oh, you've, you've got about a month, right? And that's what people are doing because they're looking at only the closed ones, only the quote unquote dead, dead vulnerabilities or remediated vulnerabilities. So by taking into account essentially the 98 people that either survived or in this case, 98 vulnerabilities that aren't fixed yet, which is, you know, hopefully they will all get fixed at some point. Unlike survival analysis, you don't wish that opposite. Uh, but essentially, you want to account for that. You want to look at these open vulnerabilities and, and take that into account and say, they've been open. We know that this one has been open at least six months. Um, and so what survival analysis does is it looks at all of the closed, all of the open, and uses uh, some good estimation to try and figure out what is the probability that a vulnerability will be open after some period of time. So that time to event analysis. Yeah, it's it's really cool too. I, I mean, I admit that... I. Before diving into some of this research uh, with UJ, I, I would say the vast majority of the time when I see somebody measuring remediation of vulnerabilities, they're often talking about things like mean time to remediate and things like that, which is great, except to your point, you're only looking at the things that you actually fixed. And if you look at the data sets, the vast majority of things actually aren't fixed or in some cases never get fixed, right? So how do you measure that? And this this survival analysis and the curves that, that got introduced in this research is really a great way of looking at kind of how good are you at eradicating any particular vulnerability out of your environment altogether. Yeah, and while we're on it, I mean, out of the, the average for the sample was what, 25% of vulnerabilities are remediated within four weeks, roughly? Um, 50% within the first 100 days, and then it kind of tapers off, and we see 25% are open well over a year later. So kind of laying that out. And I think I don't think we could talk about survival analysis without going into something that you started to hit on last time, but we didn't really dig into, but um, looking at remediation velocity or area under the curve. And so I know we applied that to um, major product vendors just to see, hey, you know, Microsoft vulnerabilities, how are they doing from a velocity standpoint um, versus an IBM, um, you know, originator of Ben or uh, Ubuntu, things like that. So um, I guess, Jay, can you do a little area on the curve? How do we get to velocity? What does that mean in this case? Yep. So essentially, when we talk about survival analysis, one of the key things that people will produce is what's called a survival curve, where essentially, if you think about it, on day zero, when all of these vulnerabilities are discovered in an environment, which is a different day zero than people think of with vulnerabilities, but when, when a vulnerability is discovered in an environment, that's the first day that an organization knows about it. And essentially, at that point, 
100% of vulnerabilities are open when they're discovered. And so if you think about it, like the, the day after, there's going to be some proportion that are fixed. And so you can imagine this line starting in the upper left at 100% are still open and it drops down. Or in our case, we want to look at remediation. So 0% are remediated and it, it goes up from there. So it's dropping down like vertically, but the proportion of, of, of things remediated are going to go up. So you get this curve, though, that starts in the upper left and it comes down and it starts to flatten out, but you get a curve going across the, the width of the plot. And so what AUC does, area under the curve, is it looks at the plot, essentially, visually, you see the plot as a square and you want to know what proportion of that of that square rectangle is under the curve, the area under the curve. And so if you have a curve that goes straight line from the upper left to the bottom right, that's going to be roughly half, 50% of the uh, plot is under the curve. If it, you know, like a lot of these will start high, dip down pretty quick, and depending on how much they dip down, you can get a range, you know, anywhere from a very low area under the curve, like 0.2 up to 0.9. If they do very little, you can sort of comes down a little bit and stays flat at the top. So it's a huge range in this, but that's what it's trying to do. So a very low area under the curve means that you're remediating a whole bunch pretty quick, and there's not a lot of space under that line. But if it's really high, you know, up, up close to one, you're going to have most of that line at the top. So you have a big area under the curve. Nice. And to add to that, right, it's it's much better way of looking at remediation velocity versus, say, the mean time to remediate example that we used before. One, because mean time means average, which as we know is kind of, could mean a huge, there could be a huge range there. But, but more importantly is it's considering the survival of that vulnerability. So it's considering all the vulnerabilities, including the ones that are still open. Um, so having that small area under the curve makes it, it, it becomes very clear when you're going through these charts, oh, this is really, these guys are really fast at, at remediating or really slow. And another good reason for talking about area under the curve is that you may have two lines that are similar, but maybe one attacks it quicker and the other one's a little bit slower, but then they catch up and overcome that first one. And so looking at those, like if they cross over in the middle, it's really hard to look at them and be like, hey, which one's actually doing better? How do you compare these? How do you compare two sloping lines like that that may cross over and you know, intersect. And so AUC is a way to look at the area under that curve and say, oh, this one is a larger area. It's got slower remediation times and maybe oftentimes not by much, but you might see some lines really differ, you know, but um, so it's a good way to sort of compress these lines, which are tons of points into one metric to compare them. Interesting. And make them kind of comparable. And I think the way we represented some of the velocity here also was, you know, by 25% of said volumes closed, 50%. So time to get there, time to get to 75, which is a nice way to kind of look at um, some of these long tails. So I'm jumping into figure seven and forgot to mention it earlier. If you want to follow along with us, you can go download uh, the reports on kennerresearch.com. There'll be a link on the podcast page there. Um, but figure seven of the report, we look at the remediation velocity for major product vendors. And if you've been listening to some of our previous ones, um, I don't think you'll find this as a surprise, but Microsoft they do a really good job. And we know from the last one that Microsoft accounts for the vast majority of vulnerabilities. But here, um, in terms of velocity, what, days to reach 25% closed, they are the fastest at 14, right? So every half month, which kind of makes sense with some of the Patch Tuesday stuff, all that good, um, 
And then what, 50% closed, again, fastest, 37 days to close 50%. And then long tail, but still shorter than everyone else at 134 days for 75% closed. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think this was the first time, if my recollection is correct, uh, that we started looking at the vendors in this sense uh, in the series. Yes. Um, and it definitely, there, while it wasn't a surprise that Microsoft did well, uh, given all the conversations we've had around Patch Tuesday and automation of patches and, and that sort of thing, what did kind of strike me in this one uh, that was a little funny, at least, was while Google was also very good, it was a little bit slower than Microsoft. And, and when we're looking at the majority of the Google vulnerabilities, they are all around Chrome, which you would think would mostly be set to auto-update at this point. Uh, meaning that if you take a step back, people were better about pushing out patches through SCCM than they were about restarting their browser. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> conclusion. I mean... I could speak from experience. I would say my Windows PC restarts and updates itself faster than I close out uh, my Chrome tabs on my Mac. Just going to put that out there. Right. Yep, Jerry, definitely. don't kill me. <laughs> that is an interesting, interesting point. And it's not too far off, right? Google came in second when we looked at all of the vendors we looked at, I should say. Um, they were one day behind Microsoft to close 25% at 15 days. A um, little bit less than double at 63 days for 50%, and then a longer tail at 229. So I'm curious how that is. Um, maybe some weird Google boxes and some Chromebooks yeah. being updated. I'm, but I'm, what's interesting about figures like this uh, is, you know, what this is going to help do is help establish sort of some, I don't know, ground markers for setting SLAs on vulnerability remediation. So if you see, you know, like an Apache vulnerability and you're, and you're like, hey, this is important. Everything has to be done in, in two weeks or something, you know, because you see Microsoft can get 25% in two weeks. And so you say, all right, the really critical ones are about two weeks. But Apache, it takes, uh, what, 100, 119 days to get to 25% closure. I mean, and, and that sort of speaks to some of the complexities in patching some of the Apache things, right? Um, and so... You know, so if it's Microsoft, you might want to say, "Yep, two weeks, we got to do it," and you can get twenty five percent in there, and that should easily cover some of the high, most of the high risk phones. But then, but Apache, maybe two weeks is not a good SLA that you're going to have most people missing that because of the complexities with patching some of the Apache products. Yeah, it, it goes a lot to the fact that you know historically. SLAs around vulnerabilities have been around severity and severity only, right? So it's like, hey, this is a CVSS score of eight, so we have to react in X amount of days without any sort of one. I mean, there's uh, outside of the fact, you know, that we could go on and on about CVSS versus risk. Uh, but more importantly, to, to Jay's point here is that there's there's a effort that goes into remediating this vulnerability, and it's vastly different depending on the platform and the technology and all of the things that you might have that are dependencies upon that as well. Yeah, that's actually a really good transition. And just before we move off of the uh, kind of vendor remediation velocity, I'll just for everyone who's not following along, the the fastest as far as we could see were Microsoft, Google, um, Debian. Uh, look, some other Linux variants. Adobe's actually not too far off. And then um, the bottom three here, so from worst to best of the worst, was IBM, HP, and Oracle. Um, 
and then what Cisco and Apache were also kind of in there. And the difference when you go to the 20 or 75% close, so this long tail is pretty staggering. It's, you know, in some cases almost 10x when you look at uh, Ubuntu, for example, right? Uh, their time to 75% closed is 1,345 days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's a huge difference there. Just looking at eyeballing this chart, look, look at the difference just between like the half life at 50% versus 75%. It feels like you know they they start off. I wouldn't say quick compared to others, but they you know at a relatively even velocity, and then it just they just stop fixing them all together. <laughs> yeah, and I I mean honestly, I would imagine at looking at some of these long tails that this is the replace cycle for some of this stuff as well, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the the remediation path in that case is I get a new operating system or a new machine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we don't like updating these firmwares and some of these more complex like networking assets, maybe things like that. And they're like, time to replace it. Okay, now it's up to date for you know the next uh, month. Yeah. So very interesting. Uh, but speaking about uh, kind of the prioritization, right? I, I think the next piece we looked at was uh, CVSS and how that relates to remediation velocity. So we looked at the CVSS scores and, you know, if there was a difference in speed for tackling, you know, the tens, um, the seven pluses, things like that, right? Being PCI compliant, maybe. Um, th there's a spread. It just wasn't that big uh, overall, so, I mean, I think what people would expect when they talk about prioritizing remediation by CVSS is that you would expect CVSS 10 to be the quickest, 9 to show up next, 8 to show up. This is what you would expect. The reality is absolutely nothing like that at all. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating because the fastest one are um, CVSS 3 and below. That's what people fix the fastest. The slowest is CVSS 6. The second slowest, CVSS 10. Now this clearly, so, I mean, essentially what I, when I look at this, I see this random smattering of CVSS scores. And essentially what that tells me is that there is so much more to remediation than CVSS score. That it might be a factor, people might factor it in, but it's going to be, hey, is this a Microsoft patch that I can just push a button in SCCM? Or is this, you know, is this bundled together? What's the importance of the asset, the data on the asset, the, the position of the asset? You know, all these things are going to factor into it. And CVSS does not appear, according to this chart to me anyway, does not appear to be a driving factor uh, in remediation. It might be a piece of it, but not a driving factor. Yeah, remind me on this one, though, Jay. This is purely looking at remediation velocity based on vulnerability and not necessarily tied to patch. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yep. So you could have, it to your example, I could have a Microsoft patch that addresses multiple vulnerabilities. Some of them are higher. Some of them are lower. They're all going to get addressed at roughly the same time. I guess the other thing that stood out to me here is that the CVSS 0 to 3 was the fastest and there are very few vulnerabilities in general that, that yeah. are even scored zero to three. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing, right? Because zero to three from CVSS, they represent like what, 10% total volume to just CVSS seven or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's some, like from a volume perspective, there's much fewer of them and they, it seems to rep, be represented in how quickly they're actually taken care of through you know probably some automated patching. 
And this could just be an artifact of the data because when you have a smaller sample like that of three and three and below, smaller samples tend to have more variation. Uh, and so when you have a smaller sample, you might see more extremes in there, you know, just based on random chance. So now the the other thing that we should probably call out is is the bias in the data itself, right? So these are Kenna customers, right? So theoretically they are prioritizing based on other factors other than CVSS anyway. So that would kind of tell some of that as well. Which is volume four. That's a good, you know, foreshadowing. There you go. You're welcome, Dan. <laughs> yeah, P2P V4 coming up soon. <laughs> so jumping into the next section, um, you know, we start to look at velocity by industry. So essentially we're trying to slice and dice the data, like see if there's any correlation to, uh, you know, based off any of these metrics, we can easily define. So just going through here, it looks like what investment firms, education and transportation were some of the fastest um, with healthcare, insurance and retail being some of the slowest. And it's actually harder to quantify here. So if you follow along and look at figure 12, you can actually see their time to 25% closed are relatively close to each other. Um, same thing with most of the better performers at 50% closed as well. Um, it's when you start to look at these long tails of the 75% closed and on where there's like the major differences to me. Um, Jay, I want to get your take on this. Yeah, there's some long tails, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems interesting. They're, they're all relatively close for some of these kind of key benchmarks, right? 25%, 50%, a lot of them are very, very close until you get towards the the quote-unquote poor performers. Yeah, so on the left side, like you were talking about, the time to 25%, there's not like a huge amount of variation and not a lot of stories there. I mean, the quickest one is education, which is mind-boggling to anybody who's worked in and around education uh, at nine days. And then the second one is telecom and media. Um, and, and like these are like nine days, 12 days, 14 days, 13, you know, so I mean, there's not a lot of differences here. But when you get out on that long tail, there are some huge differences. So I mean, if you're imagining that that survival curve, like the, the long tail, they, they drop down, a lot of these will drop down quick, but then it's that sort of long haul you know, like you get that initial rush to like fix the things that you label as important. And then in, in some of these industries like healthcare and, and retail and insurance, it looks like that that long tail just sort of sits there. Yeah. Like they don't really go back for that second or third round to say, hey, let's reevaluate these. Let's get to them eventually. You know, it seems like they're just always sort of focused on what what came out of the scanner this week. Yeah, and and I don't know if we called this out or not, but this is this specific chart that we're looking at is around uh, exploited vulnerabilities only. So it's a very small subset, obviously, of the overall uh, population of vulnerabilities. And then the things that stood out to me, as as you mentioned, right? So healthcare, insurance, retail, these guys are have a much longer tail than some of the others. And I thought, oh, well, that's probably because maybe there's some bias in the size of those organizations and the data. They're really big organizations, therefore it takes them longer. But as we'll see and we talk about later on, that didn't really matter as much. <laughs> yep. Ed, with the good transitions, you're <laughs> on it today. Uh um, I'm here for you, Dan. I'm your setup guy. Yeah, that was that was perfect. Now, I, well, the next figure I wanted to kind of jump ahead a little bit and look at the remediation velocity by organization size. And um, 
Jay, you guys do a really cool kind of breakdown between known exploits, right? So how quickly people are tackling vulns that they know have a vuln, or well, we know, I guess we could say, we don't know if they did. Um, hopefully they did, but um, has a known exploit versus the timeframes for remediating vulns with no known exploits. So essentially, are they kind of taking that risk-based approach ultimately? Um and uh, there was almost no deviation uh, between organizational sizes and the known exploit line. Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting. So first, though, the, when we say known exploits, it's either going to be they're being exploited in the wild or they have a published exploit available to the public. Um, and so that we took that as being like, these are the things that companies should probably be focusing on because they're relatively trivial to exploit then. They're either already being exploited or they're about to be. Uh, and so that's what we wanted to focus on here. Yeah, and, and I think if my recollection is correct here, um, that I mean, it hovers up and down a bit, but you, you can basically say about 20% of all vulnerabilities fit within that yeah. category. Mm -hmm. uh, yep, one in five. And so when we see, like you said, Dan, when we looked at those with known exploits, we're not seeing a whole lot of variation. There's some indication that large organizations move a little bit slower. And I think anybody who's worked in a large organization would be nodding their head at that. Um, and we see that more, though, in the uh, vulnerabilities without a known exploit. We see that uh, large organizations do take considerably more time to get to those vulnerabilities. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to the data bias, right, these are all kind of customers. So what's interesting to me is small, medium, large, and also regardless of whether it's known or no known, the first 25% closed very fast. Yeah. Um, so that's typically, you know, having an exploit available or code that we know about is a big factor, but that's not all of them when it comes to risk. So I found that interesting, and I'll just read out um, – kind of the the breakpoints here. So for small businesses, their days to reach 25% closed was 18, which was spectacularly fast um, for known exploits. Their da uh, days to reach 50% closed, 56, which again is really fast, especially comparatively um, when we look at some of the other stats like vendors or um, industries, things like that. And then 75% uh, close was 195. And then we go to medium companies and their 25% close for known exploits was 20 days. So only two days longer, right? And we would imagine the volume spectacularly higher um, just based off a number of assets they're managing. Their time to get to 50% close was 60 days. So only four days longer than small businesses as well. And then they're actually a little bit shorter on 75% closed. And then we'll jump into large organizations. And again, 25% closed, 20 days. So only two days longer than small businesses. So 64 days. So another four days tacked on to the 56 days it took to get to 50% for small businesses. And then their 75% close rate is actually fairly higher. So 254 versus the 195 for small businesses. Um, but I just found it striking that they were so close on some of these key measures, um, despite the massive volume. What is interesting and stands out a bit is whether it's this chart or some of the other earlier velocity charts we talked about is the difference in the half-life, right? So the half-life is pretty good all the way across. And then you get beyond half-life, 
there's a huge difference between remediating 50% of your vulnerabilities and remediating 75% of your vulnerabilities. Like it really slows down after that, after that half-life. Um, and that could speak to whether it be the difficulties of remediation, uh, in, in especially at scale, but it can also speak to things like the priority of remediation where, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to hit a bunch of things that we think are of high risk or exposed to the internet or that sort of thing. And then these machines over here, we're less worried about and we just either never get to them or it just takes us a lot longer to get to them. Right. Or they were replaced. Or they're yeah. replaced, or it's part which of is the how we remediate cycle. now. Yeah, the best yeah. remediation strategy: buy new things. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting, and it, it does show that they're clearly taking some form of prioritization. And the larger the organization, the the more they seem to be kind of letting some of the stuff, or maybe just not the able to get to it. Right? Yeah, yeah, the longer the tail. So. Um, now I provided my own transition into figure 15. <laughs> so when we start to map out um, kind of these remediation velocity versus their total coverage. And so we made a distinct choice and it's called out in the report to look at things um, by velocity and um, some of the coverage metrics versus uh, the efficiency versus coverage. We do touch on it, but um, kind of a different frame of reference for this one because we're trying to see how fast and how much, right? Can they cover all of their vulns and or all their high risk, right? And how fast does it take them to do that was the, the questions we sought to answer at the beginning. And when we stack all of the company's performance, one, there's a pretty clear top performer segment, and two, I... We actually just had some coverage, um, a story recently on this breakout, but regardless of size, most companies can remediate roughly 10% of their vulnerabilities any given month. Mind-blowing. Actually, mind-blowing at, at just how well that tracked. I, I don't know if we talk about this later, just in terms of the, the one in 10. Now, the top performers were better at one in four, I think, roughly. Um, but it was whether you were looking at a massive Fortune 10 organization or a tiny little SMB, it was one in 10. Yeah. And that's super rare when we're working with data to have something that consistent. Just it, it's like it was so good. I had to go back and double check that I didn't make a mistake. <laughs> I was convinced I screwed up something because I was like, nope, that's too good. I did something that just clustered it. But no. They're clustered that way, um, and one in ten is is a pretty good average across these organizations. I mean, I remember when you guys kind of—I I assume this is after you you checked it <laughs> a yeah. few times because um, I remember seeing the Slack message and you guys being like, "Whoa." Here's like a typical R value, right? Here's how close this is. Um, this is pretty crazy, right? So, I mean. What are the implications of that? Uh, it's become pretty core to a lot of how we think about the vulnerability landscape and um, businesses' ability and or capacity to handle vulnerabilities. It's become kind of a um, a core foundational stat to how we think about this stuff. So, I, I, Ed, do you mind giving us your take just real quick on this? Sure. So, one, uh, while it was a, an incredible surprise at just how consistent it was across all orgs of all sizes. 
it wasn't a surprise that it was one in 10, right? I, mean, I think we've, we, we, we know, you know, we, we sit around and thank God there are way too many vulnerabilities. You can't fix all of them. In fact, we kind of take a stance that maybe you shouldn't fix all of them. We think you probably should be fixing more than one in 10, uh, especially when we talk about some of the stuff earlier, right? About uh, exploitations in the wild and number of exploits and, and that sort of thing. But but we also look at and said, well, what are the top performers doing? And when you look at this chart, you, you can see clearly that they kind of stand out and it is roughly one in four. Um, and that is uh, really enough if they're the right one in four to at least be addressing all of your high-risk vulnerabilities. So one of the things that does kind of stand out and prove to me is that organizations are capable of remediating and re eradicating all of their high-risk vulnerabilities if done well. Jay, you have anything to add to that? Uh, hard, hard to add to that, but um, I think it just reiterates the need for prioritization, right? And so, as you said, Ed, like if if you're able to identify those quote unquote high risk vulnerabilities, you should be able to keep on top of them and keep on top of them fairly quick from what we see in the survival curves. And so the challenge then, of course, becomes prioritization. How do we identify these quote-unquote high-risk vulnerabilities? And we know to prioritize those above the others. And that's where, I mean, that is such a loaded question to try and figure out what, a, what to prioritize. Uh, and that's where I think the challenge comes in. But this, talking about these one in tens, even the one in four for the, the high performers, I think that really just drives that point home. You know, for anybody who says, hey, just go patch everything, why don't, why don't they just keep everything patched? Like, no, it's just, it's impossible. There has to be prioritization in place and it's really important to get that right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know what I found interesting? Jumping back a couple figures in the report to 15 is, you know, we lay out coverage versus velocity and there's a cluster in the top right, right? Of people who are getting between 80 to 100% coverage, um, and they're almost all exclusively some of the fastest patching companies, right? They're these the one in four people. So they're, they're obviously targeting the landscape of, you know, potentially high-risk vulnerabilities, and they're doing it quicker, and they're doing it in a much more targeted way. There's some outliers who are fast and not very efficient, um, but by and large, like, these top performers are truly top performers, yeah, and uh, there were other plots that we did when we were going through this data that we didn't end up publishing. But a lot of what I took away from this is that some of these top performers that are closing a lot of these high-risk vulnerabilities are actually, they appeared, a lot of them appeared to be somewhat taking a brute force approach. Like they do sort of, not not like spray and pray or anything like that, but it's it's a little less targeted, and they're focused more on volume of remediation than necessarily prioritization to get that to get it up to one and four. Yeah, you know, so if they can patch one and four, they can be a little bit more loose on their prioritization scheme than if you're at one and ten. If you're at one and ten, prioritization is really, really, really critical. If you're at one and four, you can be a little bit more loose, and you're just sort of going to brute force your way through all the all the vulnerabilities. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it goes to a lot of what we see typically, right, which is the maturity of a, a vulnerability management program within an org, right? And when they start and they are a little bit more immature and they want to start to focus on risk, they're going to start to focus on that bang for your buck, right? Which is, okay, I, I'm going to do something. I better make sure that what I do counts a lot, right? And I reduce a lot of risk with that. So 
they, they start with that, you know, we've talked about coverage and efficiency. They start with a focus on efficiency. And then as they get more mature and they get to that, that, that velocity point where they can fix one and four, they, they start to shift towards that mindset more coverage, right? Which is, which is where we, we see a lot of that. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Makes sense. And then, I mean, just to get back and do some of the comparisons that we looked at throughout the entire report, um, top performing firms, so just number of companies within each category, um, basically of top performers, oil, gas, and energy were the best um, by a pretty decent margin. Half of the sampled companies were in the top performers. Uh, banking was second, so 40% of the organizations that represented top performers in that um, uh, industry were doing pretty good. And then transportation, so 25%. The sample size is a little smaller there, so you know, kind of hit or miss. But um, when we look at the top performing firms based on organizational size, slight skewing towards SMB, but not a ton. So um, the small companies, 42% of them were in the top performers, medium 36%, and large was 22%. Um, so you do see a slight skewing, but not as much as I would expect, right, from a resource and just overwhelming volume of vulnerabilities um, and or complexity and size of the problem statement, right? Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Ed. Yeah, I mean, it it goes back to that, that, that perfect R value, right, which is to say, Yes, SMB was slightly better than than the the midsize or the large, but they were pretty damn consistent. Whether it was you know uh, remediation velocity or capacity, we see a lot of you know capacity wise. I'm going to fix one in ten. Uh, velocity wise, we did see a little bit better performance there, but it was it was remarkably consistent. One of the things I think that was surprising to me is that when I think of a high performer in vulnerability management, I tend to think of well-funded larger organizations. And what we're seeing here is that it's it's not. Like small organizations, less than 500 employees, can can be in that high performer category. And actually, 42% of the high performers were in that category. So it just says like you don't need a ton of massive resources and all this huge budget. And, and maybe the small companies had a larger budget proportionally, but... Um, you know, you can do it as a small company, you can do it as a mid-sized company, and you can do it as a large company. Make everyone use Chrome and reset, <laughs> restart Chrome every week. <laughs> or just, you know, have a refresh cycle on your computers yeah. that's, uh, every 30 <laughs> days or something. <laughs> we buy new Chromebooks every 30 days and we don't have to deal with vulnerability management. <laughs> um, uh, and then I... So we'll get to answering the questions we set out at the beginning in a little bit. The last thing I really wanted to hit on from this report, which is kind of cool because we've actually seen thus far in the P2P series, most of these big numbers on the vulnerability landscape have been pretty consistent, right? These ratios of you know roughly 5% of enterprise vulnerabilities are the ones that have exploits developed and or seen in the wild, things like that, right? Um, 20% of overall CVE landscape has some sort of exploit that we know about, right? Somewhere in the wild, all that fun stuff. This stat's actually changed as I think risk-based vulnerability management has really become more popular. Companies are getting a little more mature maybe, but um, we're comparing net remediation capacity. So whether or not, I believe this is over the course of a month, right? A rolling 30-day period, Jay? Uh, this is, I think, over two, uh, two years. 
Is it? I, but when we look at it for, from a 30-day rolling standpoint, right? So it's like for it, for the number of high-risk volumes you introduce in a 30-day period versus the number that you close in a 30-day period. Yeah. Yep. Over two years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We look at monthly stats over two years. Over a two-year period. Yeah. Yes. So um, about for – so March 12th, 2019 – about half, so about 50% of organizations were closing less high-risk volumes than were being introduced on average every 30 days. About a sixth of those were maintaining, so they were roughly one-to-one. New high-risk volume is introduced into their, you know, they're finding it, um, and then they're plugging one of the high-risk volumes at the, roughly the same rate. And about a third are actually gaining ground. So for every... Um, new high-risk volume that's identified by these companies, they're plugging more than that, um, which is interesting way to look at it as an aggregate. And so, uh, you know, we tried to update this and see what it came out with for RSA this year. So February 2020, um, before the entire world went to shit. So only uh, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> roughly three COVID years ago. Um, but if we look at those stats now, 51% are gaining ground, right? So we've just flipped that. And then 32% are now falling behind. So we've actually seen the split completely reverse in roughly a year's time from when we looked at the data sets. Yeah, no, totally true, uh, Dan. And this is one of the, there's there's a set of metrics that we kind of include in what we call our internally, at least the, the state of the union uh, around vulnerability management, and this is one of them, right? What is the, the kind of the net capacity uh, for these teams to eradicate the high-risk vulns? And it was really optimistic to see such a dramatic change year over year in the improvement of net capacity to remediate these high-risk vulns. And, and knock on wood, let's let's hope when we look at this again at the end of this year, beginning of next, that uh, it improves even more. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to look at it and just take it as something's going right. Knock on wood. We just keep that rolling forever. Um, so to, wrapping things up, we had a couple questions. So can organizations remediate new vulnerabilities before exploitation? In theory, yes, <laughs> based off what we're seeing here. Um, the second question was, can organizations remediate all new vulnerabilities in their environment? Not even close. No, no. no way. One in 10, right? Yeah, uh, at best 25%, right? Something like that. Um, can organizations remediate all new high-risk vulnerabilities in their environment? Absolutely. I, I think they, they proved that out. And Certainly the top performers uh, yes. could invent some. Yeah. Awesome. Jay, any final thoughts on uh, P2P V3? Nope. <laughs> I'm excited to see where this is headed. Yeah, me too. So I know we're working on V6 right now, so we're kind of playing catch up with some of our reports. But um, yeah, thanks for uh, hopping on, everyone. Uh, I will have all these resources linked. We are also going to be recording uh, P2P V4, I believe, with Ben pretty soon. So yeah. we'll get a we'll get a direct compare, and you can judge for yourself whether uh, Ben's a clone, um, some sort of you know derivative of Jay. But um, will we they will ever get be to on the at bottom. the same time? Yeah, we're, we're yeah. trying. They, they won't let us. I don't know why. It's weird. COVID. Um, <laughs> so we will get to the bottom of this. But uh, thanks for listening and uh, tune in to our next session. Thanks, everyone. Have a nice day.